But here we see in the word fear, uh, we understand the fear means to be made afraid. That's the most common understanding of the word fear. It's not respect, because if I say I'm afraid of spiders, it doesn't mean I respect spiders. We, we know fear, as it's used most in the English language, means to be made afraid. Um, but when it comes to the Bible, we don't like the idea of fearing God or being made afraid of God, and so we turn it to respecting and, and all that. And I get that, and sometimes that's accurate. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. I will, I'll give you some information here that might help clarify what I'm going at. Um, in Ecclesiastes, what we read in Ecclesiastes, the word, the word fear is the Hebrew word yare, which means to revere, but also means fright or dread. So it's one of those words, of course, most words you look up in the dictionary, there's a primary definition, there's a secondary definition, sometimes there's a tertiary definition, and all beyond that. And so the Hebrew word yare, which is found in Ecclesiastes, where it says fear God and keep his commandments is the whole duty of man, the primary definition of that word is to revere. So that's exactly what we would expect uh, when, from what we've mostly, at least from what I've mostly been told about uh, understanding uh, uh, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear in 2 Corinthians is the Greek word phobos, which means to be put in fear, alarm, or fright. So when the Bible says perfecting holiness in the fear of God, that's not referencing the reverence of God, but an actual fear of God. Now, before you get too concerned about that, we'll, we'll explain it in just a moment, what I believe it means uh, to fear God. Um, in all verses and uses of the word fear of the Bible, there, there's, there's a difference in, in what that fear is. God chooses chastisement as an example of his relationship with us in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll go ahead and read a few verses here and understand how this works. Hebrews 12, verse number 6, the Bible says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, if you are being chastened and scourged by someone, usually that would cause you to have a, a fear of them, or at least a healthy fear of them, or at least of the scourge or of the chastening. Verse 7, If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather than be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and to live? Now, again, reverence is brought into play here. So what I think about all this is that there is a fear of God that is not just respect. It is a fear that you have of your father who is going to punish you for doing wrong. It's not just that you respect your dad. It's that you fear your dad because your dad has the power to set you straight. And your dad has the ability to set you straight. And maybe it was your mom. I get it. You know, gender roles, blah, blah, blah. Your parent or whoever it was in your life had that paddle or had that belt or had that firm hand. And you had fear of that. And that fear, the Bible calls it the beginning of, of knowledge. And, and that is essentially how God instructs us to raise our children with the rod because we put the fear of God into them so that the police don't have to do it when they grow up. And so we see this fear of God question. Moses was afraid to look upon God. It wasn't, you know, oh, I'm, I'm reverencing you by not looking on you. It was a fear of God because this is God speaking to you in person. Now, we love the idea of God speaking to us, right? 
Because we have the New Testament version of God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit which is within us and through His, His Word which we read. Not God speaking to us from heaven, which is the Old Testament means of God speaking to people and often included thunderings and, and all this stuff. And it was, you know, it was quite a thing. You, you read about people that met face to face with God in the, in the Bible. They did not say, oh, wow, looks, that's amazing. They hid themselves. They hid themselves. Even Adam and Eve in the garden, once they had sinned, they fled and hid away. And so it's, it's I think that when it comes to fearing God, we, we do ourselves a disservice by just automatically assuming that every time we see the word, it means to reverence God, because I think we need, especially in America, we need a true fear of God again, where we have some fear of this God is my father. And if I do wrong, he's going to chastise me for it because he loves me. It's not that I'm afraid that he's going to strike me with lightning dead because I messed something up. It's that I have a, 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 a healthy fear of that authority over my life. And I think there's another way you can take it and understand it too is, is to fear disappointing God more than being embarrassed in front of people. To fear breaking God's law more than being called a bigot by sinful men. To fear uh, finding yourself against God on an issue more than to fear having the minority, the minority opinion. I think a lot of people, their fear is of other things and if they had a fear of God or at least in the sense of fear of disappointing God, fear of being against God, fear of taking the wrong avenue away from God, then that would definitely uh, be, make them far better off in their Christian lives than if they feared public opinion, or if they feared you know, the, the court of public opinion, or they feared the, the response of people, or whatever. Because that's what keeps people from witnessing the most, I think. It's just a fear that, well, what are they going to say? Well, aren't you more afraid? What is God going to think? I mean, come on, are we more afraid of what some person is going to say if we say, hey, do you know about Jesus Christ? Or are we more afraid that God is going to see us refuse to open our mouths and, and be disappointed? And so I think the fear of God is more complex than just saying fear and anger and, and all this, you know, this danger that comes with it or fear and reverence. I think it's more complex than that. And again, it's one of those things where you just you understand the context of the passage and you take it and you read it, and you let the Holy Ghost guide you. Now, if you turn back to Exodus chapter 3, we have one more thing, one more thing to look at here. Um, Exodus 3 and 1 Timothy 1. Exodus 3 and 1 Timothy 1. Just trying to answer some questions from the Scripture this morning, this evening. And so we've got the, the, the angel of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Hopefully that was beneficial and not made you even more confused than you were when you came in. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 4. I'm going to read, we'll read together a, a passage here, a few verses. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thy standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, the land, uh, out of that land unto a good land and a large and a, unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And I have also seen in the, uh, the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them, 
Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, first we see him saying, Here I am. The Lord says, Moses, he says, Here I am. And then the Lord tells him what he wants him to do, and he says, Who am I? Now, this is reminiscent of Psalm 8.4 and Psalm 144.3 where the Bible says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou visitest him or that thou thinkest upon him? And, and I, get, I understand, I think it's a good thing, it's a very good thing always to have humility. To say, Lord, who am I that you would allow me to be a witness? Who, would I, who am I that you would allow me to be saved? Who am I that you would do anything for me? I think that's always good. But I don't think it's humility that drives the, 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 the response here from Moses of who am I to go and, and talk to the people of Israel. Uh, if, you, if you continue reading, which for time's sake we won't read it all, but chapter 3, verses 12 through 22, the Lord answers his question of who am I and he goes on and he tells him again what he's going to have him do. And Moses says, well, who, who am I going to say sent me? And he says, tell him the I am has sent, that I am has sent you. And we'll talk about that next time we're together, Lord, Lord willing. And he continues on and he uses so, several definitive statements. We come down to verse 22, or I'm sorry, verse, um, verse 18, And they shall hearken to thy voice. And thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and, thou, and she shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go out empty. So the Lord says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go, you're going to gather the people, you're going to tell them I'm, I've sent you, you're going to be confident, and you're going to, you're going to go to the king of Egypt, you're going to the Pharaoh, and you're going to say, let my people go. And then he's, going to, he's not going to let it happen. I'm going to perform these wonders, and then he's going to release you, and you're going to go out of there rich and wealthy. If you read the next verse, you're going to borrow of the Egyptians all this stuff, and you're coming to come out, uh, and, and you're going to come worship me in this mountain. God tells him all these things as fact. But what Moses says in verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us that it wasn't humility that said, Who am I? He says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I don't think it's humility that's driving the question, Who am I to do this? I think it's hesitation. You read through this passage, and over and over again, Moses is asking questions. He's He's making excuses. Lord, I can't speak. Even though we read earlier when we looked at Moses on the third or fourth lesson of the series, he's eloquent. He's, he's taught and learned and he's a speaker. In, Egypt, in the Egyptian culture, he understood all these things. He was able to speak and then he tells God, I, I can't speak. And God says, well, who made your mouth? Who made your tongue? And it just seems like God is, is just pulling his hair out trying to get Moses to do what he said even though, as we read before about Moses, way back when Moses killed the Egyptian, he knew that God wanted him to deliver Israel. And so somewhere between killing that Egyptian and 40 years later in the wilderness, he, he kind of lost that confidence. And now he says, here am I when God says his name, but when God says go, he says, who am I? 
And I think the better response is what we find in Isaiah 6, 8, of course. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Not here am I, who am I? Not here am I, well, but what about my weakness? Here am I, what about my failures? Here am I, what about my past? Here am I, what about my inabilities? Just here am I, send me. Because God will enable you to do that which He has called you to do. I remember when I told the kids in Bible college that I was going to be a, a youth pastor. I was leaving school to go be a preacher. And, uh, and I remember them telling me that there was no way God could use me unless I had more degrees than the man before me. And I was like, well, you guys are messed up. And I, and I told them, I said, I don't need to be ready. Because they asked me, are you, you think you're ready to be that? You think you're ready? To do I said, I don't need to be ready. God's ready. I just need to be willing. And he'll teach me. And boy, he has. Sometimes lessons were taught the hard way. Uh, but but I, that I believe that's the case. I think that's how God works. He enables people to do the things He's called them to do. He's not going to call you to do something and then watch you struggle and say, "Ha ha! I didn't think you could do it." That's not what a loving father does. First Timothy chapter number one, verse twelve. This will be the last last verse we look at. The Bible says, "And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for the economy faithful, putting me into the ministry." You know that word enabled. Uh, so often nowadays it's just used in a negative connotation. Don't be an enabler. Don't enable bad habits. Don't enable uh, your kids or whoever because that happens a lot. I understand that. But God is enabling Paul here. And the word enabled means supplied with sufficient power, physical, moral, or legal. And you think about if God is going to call me to something and enable me to do it, He is supplying me with sufficient power to do it. He is supplying the need for me to do what He's called me to do. Now, Paul, If Paul needed to be enabled by God, then surely we need to be enabled by God. And so for anybody to say, God's called me to do this and I'm ready, in and of yourself, no you're not. But by the help of God and the power of God, you will be. You will be, you can be. So I think it's important to understand and to see uh, this call of Moses is an amazing thing. Uh, but I would much rather... You know, if God calls me, calls to me in my life and tells me to do something, I'd much rather have the response that we see in Isaiah 6 8, here am I, send me. Because who am I is a legitimate question. But who I am doesn't matter when God is the one supplying the power, when God is the one working in my heart. And so I'd encourage you this evening to, to keep that thought in mind. Regardless of who you are, God is greater, and God will enable. If God calls you to do something, tricks your heart about something, just trust Him and say, here am I, send me.